Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. Your host, Scott Needham. I've been an Amazon seller for 10 years, and we're going to talk about an issue that I came across in my first year of selling, and probably going to figure out some answers to some things that I wish I would have done 10 years ago. So I'll tell you just a little bit of a backstory is when I was, you know, finding products to sell on Amazon, what we would find a lot were some like these like supplier lists, product lists with a lot of UPCs. And we would scan them. And, and based off of that scan, we'd get products and we'd try and find like a profitable, you know, see if it was competitive. And, and a lot of times we find a lot of profitable products, but like a lot of times they would match to the wrong products or they would match to bundles. And so the UPC was always like, uh, it wasn't ever like a one-to-one match. Well, today on the podcast, I have uh, with me uh, the answer to any of those questions because I have GS1, the organization that um, that uh, they they designed the UPC and, and have disseminated it for decades. And so it's not every day that I get to bring on you know an, uh, an international uh, nonprofit organization. Usually we talk about you know tactics to uh, you know just like make your business better, but. You know, this is an issue that's actually becoming really present right now as Amazon is also taking a little more strict approach. They're yanking products that don't have uh, matching new uh, PCs. And so I have Michelle Covey from GS1. Welcome. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. <laughs> okay. I teased up a little bit of the backstory, you know, yep. uh, so this does affect Amazon sellers. And I, I swear, like the last three weeks, I've seen several product pages I just get pulled because, you know, Amazon's message is like, you know, they just doesn't match with some database that they're referencing. And so uh, they, uh, they, they pull it because they want every product to have uh, an identifier often called a G10. Um, and uh, so, you know, we got plenty of questions, but um, Michelle have already, have I made a mistake already? No, you haven't. You are absolutely correct. And, and we are seeing um, our GS1 US members say the same thing, that some of their listings are getting pulled because they started off without a, a proper identifier on it. So I, I, we're hearing the same message. So um, tell me a bit about the background. You know, uh, what is the GS1? How long has it been around? What does it do? Sure. So let's start with um, who is GS1 and what do we do? Um, GS1, as you noted, is a global standards organization. Um, we have offices in um, about 115 um, regions or um, countries. So I represent GS1 US, so the GS1 US market. But um, being a global standards organization, we have um, other members' offices that are in, say, like GS1 UK, GS1 Brazil, GS1 Australia. So um, we service um, sellers around the globe um, and we are best known for the uh, the birth of the barcode. <laughs> um, it was 50 years ago that the, uh, the UPC and the barcode were created and it was really to help streamline um, retail point of sale 
um, and identifying products uniquely. So cash, cashiers didn't have to do a price lookup and manually type in price checkup. So that's where it started from. We are um, much more than just the barcode. So our standards yeah. um, do cross over many other business processes. Yeah. But um, I think today we'll talk about the, you know, what is a barcode? What's the difference between a UPC, EAN, G10? What does that all mean? And then yeah. why, why is it important on Amazon? Yeah, I think actually most consumers in this world actually are, uh, they, they they see UPC barcodes and they even use them and probably don't really have much of an idea how it works and whatever. All like, you know, the self-checkout, you're like, oh, where's the barcode? Like we, we know yep. the barcode and we know that computers can read it. But, you know, there's a lot of this things like one, like the barcode actually is just a series of numbers. Is that right? You're close. You're close. <laughs> <laughs> so the barcode is actually, um, it's the uh, machine readable version of that identifier. Yes. So the, the, the numbers underneath that is your actual G10 or global trade item number. Okay. Um, and those are that global trade item number or G10 is encoded into the barcode, but a lot of people use them interchangeably and say, I have my barcode. I have my G10. Um, they'll also refer to it as a UPC or an EA. Now, the difference between that is a UPC and EAN are a type of um, G10. Okay. In a way. Um, so in the US market, it is usually when you come to GS1 US, we issue a 12 digit G10, which is encoded into a UPC barcode. Okay. So it's, they're commonly referred to as UPCs if, um, and they're, they're 12 digit. Um, if you go elsewhere and go to say like GS1 UK or GS1 France, you would get a 13 digit identifier, which gets encoded into an EAN barcode. So it's that 13 digit code that is that makes up that EAN. Um, both the 12 digit G10, 13 digit G10s been used as UPC or EAN are types of G10s. Yes. And yeah, no, you, you said it right there. Okay. So... How does the, you know, how does like the average seller use them? Let's let, there's a few scenarios and we're going to go across a few of them, but let's say I want to launch a product. I sourced it. I got a manufacturer. I brought it into the U S and uh, what do I have to do? So the first thing is usually um, what we, we recommend um, through GS1 standards is to uniquely identify that because if you're going, especially if you're going to sell it with multiple um, across multiple retail channels, or even if you try to sell it um, on such large platforms like Amazon or other marketplaces, the first thing um, that they're going to ask for is what is that identifier and why is that useful? It's to be able to uniquely identify it. It's kind of like the license plate or social security number to a product. So that you, when you assign that unique identifier to the product, you know that you're going to get that exact product. If you reuse numbers, say like you used one on a mug and then somebody else used that same exact number on a chair, when you go to sell it, when you go to buy it as a consumer, um, the systems will think, okay, well, I'm using this number and instead you'll end up getting a different number if you reuse them so it just it helps uniquely identify um, products yeah. for sale both in the physical and the digital world so is there like a database that kind of like like so let's say i bring in the product and i you know um i go on to gs1us.org i buy a upc or a, a pack of upcs um do i have to tell you what I'm assigning one to, to actually be 
Yeah, you know, I'm I'm wondering is like, is there like a reference database? You know, how does Amazon know if a if a UPC is valid or not or matches the product? Good question. We get that a lot. Um, so when um, we call members, when a member or a seller comes to GS1 US to license their either their single G10 or we do um, license them in back in bulk or in packs, like you said, we um, collect the company information. Um, so the legal entity company um, name, um, and that information is stored in our GS1 registry. Okay. Uh, we also do provide a tool. It's called, um, at least in the GS1 US market, um, the data hub tool, which allows, especially for those sellers who come and get um, those bundles of, of um, numbers. So if they came and got 10 or 100 or 1000, they could go into our data hub tool, create all of their individual GTINs from their bundle, and then they could start um, adding a couple of um, different product uh, attributes to it, like brand name, product description. And that information is also available um, at a product level. Um, but mostly a lot of the companies like Amazon, when they say they're referring to our database, they're looking for that company and the identifier that's associated to their company. Okay. And then you could get more granular, but because um, we have all that information in our GS1 registries. So now uh there's we, we probably talked about like you know uh the, the the best case scenario way to do things how do things go wrong if people uh is, what's a wrong way to use uh you know a upc sure so and this kind of goes back to your first question um so one of the things that we um we see common mistakes of sellers is they'll start a product product launch they may choose not to um assign an identifier to their product, they may, there's a couple of paths. They may choose to go for a G10 exemption and they list their product without having a G10 associated. And then um, they may uh, get their, their listing pulled because then Amazon does request that they have a G10 associated. Um, they may then get their product um, actually picked up by another retailer, say like a Walmart or a Target or another big box retail chain that does require that G10. And then what they'll have to do is they'll have to repackage um, their product, which adds cost to their product. Of course. So, you know, not starting off with a G10 can add, um, we've seen that those scenarios that can add some cost to packaging. Um, there's another scenario where um, some sellers may get um, their identifiers not from GS1, and that causes an issue that you know, they may have to then be asked to come back and reassign with a GS1 issued identifier. So yeah, so that's caused problems there's too. There's kind of this like reselling market. I mean, we don't yeah. know exactly why it exists or like why someone would do it. It's, it's very much a shortcut that right now we're seeing why it's a bad idea because yeah. different entities, you know, Amazon or other channels or retail, you know, they're they're not going to reference, they're not going to know um, uh, if this G10 is, uh, is valid. Right. So GS1 um, as a whole organization does not have um, relationships with other third parties that that sell um, or license um, G10s or identifiers. So um, we are the only issuing agency being the global not-for-profit organization. We have a mechanism in place to you know, manage the, the licensing of all the G10s and then recording it in that, that global registry, like I mentioned. Um, and so if you 
received a, an identifier outside of GS1, that information is not recorded in our registries. And so when Amazon or other retailers do their validations, um, those sellers that got their identifiers elsewhere um, will find that their name is not in their um, our registries. And that's often why Amazon yeah. will then pull you a know, listing. I, when we were talking earlier, I probably should have made this comparison, like standards in general for like, you know, modern business history, not just uh, what GS1 has done, but others have actually created huge unlocks in uh, time savings. And I, one of the most interesting stories, and I, you tell me if this is a good comparison or not, is uh, shipping containers that, you know, uh, decades ago when they were like, you know, shipping stuff across overseas, you know, it's just really hard. And then they like, then they standardize what a shipping container size is. And then basically every ship, every shipyard could like have the same type of machines that work with just like, a, you know, a container. That's a very physical manifestation of a standards and how like it just simplifies it for everyone. Um, what we're talking about is identification and, yep. and and barcodes. So I just wanted to tease, I, I think that comparison can kind of like help illustrate uh, what, how, wh why this is like, this is valuable. And it, it, it actually is what allows for uh, self-checkout. You know, if, the, if, if, if these UPCs weren't there, self-checkout just like wouldn't be a thing. And like, you know, we've been doing that for like 20 years now. Exactly. I mean, it's a great analogy. It, um, it allows for that interoperability. So whether you sell your product online or in the store, or if you sell it um, overseas, that um, global unique identifier can be recognized everywhere around the globe. And so, you know, again, to your point, it, it, it allows that ease of business and efficiency. Okay. Um, so oh, there's so there's a few different directions to take this, but um, what happens, so let's say is, you know, your product gets yanked on Amazon and, and you are the brand, it's your product. What, do you, do you have an option? Uh, is that, is that a situation where you can still buy? So we've seen a couple of scenarios where this happens. Um, so there's a couple of um, checks that Amazon does when a seller goes to list their product. Several years ago, they didn't have those checks in place. I think you highlighted earlier um, in, right when we kicked off this podcast is Amazon has started putting in more and more checks just, and it's really to protect the brand and protect the, the end consumer that they're not getting counterfeit goods. Really, I mean, we have to remember that's really why Amazon is doing this. They really are looking for brand protection and, and trust that consumers are getting the products they want. Um, prior to doing some of these checks, um, sellers could list on Amazon and they may not have used the proper identifier. They might not have known it. They might have actually been holding a, a, a can, of, a bottle of water, and said, "Oh, I need to use a UPC or a GTIN," and they just pulled it off of that, not knowing that they're unique and they need to be assigned. Those listings still did get out there because those checks weren't in there. And what Amazon is doing now is going back and doing a little bit of cleanup, going, "These don't look right. They're not associated to the brand name." Um, and asking sellers to update their listings with the proper identifiers. So that's what we're seeing. Um, and it's happening across there, you know, doing a little bit of a catalog cleanup. Can, and I, can you, after the fact, uh, put in a good uh, a valid G10 and Amazon will like relist? Um, yes, but I'm going to say it's not an easy process. I'll be honest. So yeah, <laughs> Amazon does, Amazon doesn't, 
Yeah, Amazon doesn't make it all that easy. Um, it is possible. Um, it would the the seller would have to definitely um, work with what we're told is work with selling partner support to um, update their listing. Um, sometimes a brand new listing needs to be created, yep. um, and so that seller may lose customer reviews and history. Um, and so I think. Amazon is hearing that that is, you know, obviously a huge issue for sellers. They don't want to lose all that history. So uh, I think they're working on a um, some standard operating procedure to, to have all that information flow over. That's my understanding. And so some sellers are, are successful in it and some, you know, still run into some challenges. Yeah, um, sometimes. So uh, there's a lot of sellers that are uh, resellers. Uh, you know, they sell branded products on Amazon and they don't own the brand. Mm -hmm. And I guess if, if a listing gets yanked, they have a little bit less control because they'd have to go to the brand to get the accurate UPC. What about when like, you know, I've worked with suppliers that don't really respect best practices. They reuse UPCs or they um, uh, don't even have that. Right. So you've, you covered two things that, that I've, I've seen. So one is brand name and, or, a, you know, reselling of brands. So that has sometimes caused sellers issues because some brands are, are protected. And so resellers cannot resell those. So, if, you know, Nike, for example, we know is a protected brand. If as a reseller tried to sell Nike, um, I would, my listing would be stopped or blocked because I don't have authorization to, to resell like Nike brands. Um, so there are but some still like hundreds of people are doing that still. Yeah. But they're, they're trying to crack down on some protected okay. brands, you know, and yeah. so they will stop listings, but you know, sellers still find a way to get around it. Um, those resellers that are, are really, you know, um, authorized to sell, resell a brand, they will be asked to prove that they have that relationship, send in a letter um, on company letterhead, that sort of thing to say, I, you know, Michelle's company is authorized to sell, you know, brand XYZ on Amazon. Um, so there, there are ways to get, you know, to prove that you can sell that brand. So that's one thing. And in the recommendation is to use the original UPC or, or G10 assigned to that brand that the brand owner has. So that's one okay. of the recommendations. You also highlighted reusing um, UPCs or, or G10s. Um, well, there is. I'm saying if like a supplier does that, let's say like right. I understand, you know, uh, best practices, but like I'm working with a source and like, yeah, they got good products, but they just change them and then they re and they relabel it. Yeah, technically, so if a product's been in market with a, a G10 associated to it, it cannot be reused. So because that product can live much longer than its original, um, you know, original intended sell date, sell through date because of these online marketplaces, um, and it can cause collision of other G10s. So um, once a product identifier has been assigned to a product, it needs to stay on that. So we used to, um, years ago, the standard allowed for reuse, um, but because of these marketplaces, the G10 management standard has been updated to have no reuse across all product lines. Well, and because like, you know, something like eBay is like, you know, uh, mm -hmm. products can last 50 years. Uh, exactly. After they stop manufacturing. I mean, so um, yeah, I think, that's pretty smart as like, you know, some products are going to have a, a very long life cycle. Yeah. 
So where are these uh, standards heading towards? I think, is the UPC going to be the same thing forever? You mentioned that you guys do like other barcodes. A lot of people know, uh, a lot of sellers will know about 2D barcodes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we, when we ship them into Amazon, they're requiring that uh, for to, to display more information. Um, is there anything else? Sorry, I, you know. Yeah, no. So most people, as you said, are, are very familiar with that linear barcode that scans at the point of sale at the grocery store to like check out your, you know, your yogurt and can of beans and bag of chips. What consumers are demanding is more and more information. And you might start seeing on some packages, there's like the barcode for point of sale scanning, but then there's also QR codes for consumer engagement, for uh, nutritional information. Some have marketing messages or say recipes and and that site, that type of information. Uh, GS1's working with industry to move more towards, um, a 2D barcode in general for all of all of those needs. So um, we're looking for uh, we're calling it like a sunrise 2027. By 2027, um, working with industry members to start moving all of their barcode information to one type of 2D barcode that does it all. Okay. So. Yeah, and so it could it could resolve to um, information on you know websites. It could help also scan at point of sale and get that price lookup. Um, it a consumer can engage with it with their phone and and pull up that recipe all in one barcode, and it um, helps the. Here's my helps, favorite. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is the, here's my favorite thing about two D barcodes. Sometimes they they can build in some like fault tolerance, and um, and you can scratch a two D barcode through the middle. And it still scans. Yeah. And perfectly. And I'm, to me, I'm like, okay, there's some smart people behind this. <laughs> well, that's for the really smart people. I don't know how that works either, but I'm, yeah, it, it's good. But I think it's really also going to help the brands too, because they'll have less space used for all these various kinds of barcodes on their products right now, because you're starting to see more and more barcodes proliferate um, packaging. So I think it's going to be um, helpful. Yeah, and now, now every single person in the U.S. has a barcode scanner in their pocket. Yep, exactly. So um, that's what we're working on. Um, I think, again, it, it, it provides so much more information in that scan than just right now what it's used for at point of sale, which is you know price lookup. We could um, have so much more information being shared and uh, it could help with so many things, you know, uh, any kind of recalls, um, any kind of warranty information, uh, again, recipes, consumer engagement. So um, yeah. we're, we're excited to be working with industry on that. Interesting. Well, um, is there something that we didn't cover that like about, you know, UPCs and where they're going, how Amazon sellers use them? I think my thing is, is I always, it's like, what's your tip, you know, your, your one word of advice for sellers is if you are like wondering, do I put a G10 or a UPC on my product or not? I want to shortcut it. One we always say is, you know, start with the foundation of unique identification and, and, and put an identifier on there, even if you think that your product um, may not need it for um, a digital space, because if your product does get picked up by multiple retail chan- uh, channels, you're, you're posed for um, poised for growth, really. So you can then you know sell your products on other platforms um, and having that identifier unlocks it, um, your ability to do business with trading partners that have you know, matured with the standards and can share information, uh, shipping information. You could start, you know, 
just expanding your business and your setup for, for success from the start? Well, if uh, people are looking to learn more um, about, you know, UPCs, how to, uh, you know, get your own for your own product, uh, and, you know, maybe even some other corner cases that we didn't cover here, uh, uh, where can they learn more? So we have two great sites. We just have our overall website, which is uh, gs1us.org. Um, and that's a great place just to start. And that's where you could license your G10s and, and get started. We also have a great YouTube channel, the GS1 US YouTube channel. And there's a lot of videos out there um, help explain this um, in, you know, easier to understand because um, our standards can be very complex. Um, and it also, we also have some great customer um, use cases on how they've implemented standards. So from small businesses to large, which can get an idea, give uh, sellers an idea of, of what they could do with their, with standards. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> this is uh, uh, a really interesting subject. Like I, uh, I never did, um, because this is such a present issue is why GS1 is like, you know, interested in like engaging with the community um, as there are, you know, thousands uh, of sellers. We do have a few thousand that listen to this episode. You know, I get questions about, I've even had some complicated questions asked to me about like UPCs and like what people recommend. And I'm like, oh crap, here goes. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you, Michelle, uh, so much for sharing. I usually ask, I'm going to ask this anyways. So, you know, I've, uh, I like to talk a lot about um tech-driven uh, business solutions. So like, you know, I bring a lot of software uh, onto the podcast. What is your favorite tool uh, for, you know, doing your job? And this could be, you know, the only answer I won't accept is Gmail, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that helps you be more productive. Because uh, we, we all have different businesses and we're all looking for a little bit of more productivity. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, honestly, if you want to know, um, just the implementation of some of these online tools when we all went virtual to be able to do phone calls and, yeah. and, um, video calls and, and still see your coll colleagues across, you know, the business where everybody's been locked in home. So you can now do video calls with people versus just, um, conference calls or being in the office. Did you so. guys, did, did you guys, did GS1 in the US have an office before? I mean, or... Yeah, we have an office in New Jersey. Um, that's where our headquarters. And then we also have our customer support team in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Okay. So um, now you guys are going remote, embracing it. Well, yeah, we're hybrid. You know, obviously we're trying to get back in the office, but having these tools um, allowed us, especially for the last year, to, to still feel like we were part of the same company. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, we, we've gone hybrid ourselves. Uh, I like seeing in person, but, you know, it's nice to... Yeah. Give some flexibility. Okay. Well, um, Michelle, thank you so much. Uh, so again, if you guys want to learn more, gs1us.org, and then also check them out on YouTube. We'll wrap up there. Michelle, thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you, Scott. We will uh, continue, you know, with this podcast as I've been doing it for three years. So stay tuned next week for uh, more information on how to make you a uh, better Amazon seller. Uh, take care, everyone. One, two, three. Yeah.